Hey, uh, part two of this series, I want to start um, today by talking about dreams. Um, I don't know if you have recurring dreams that come up over and over and over again, um, but preachers have recurring dreams um, that come up over and over again. I don't remember a lot of my dreams, but there are a few that I do remember uh, from time to time. Uh, one of the, the preacher dreams is um, there's, a, there's a service, there's a funeral, there's a wedding that's about to begin, and for some reason, I'm not there. Um, I can't, can't tell you why I'm not there, uh, because it's a dream and I don't have control over that, but the lights are on, the congregation's there, the microphone's ready, and I just totally forgot uh, to show up. That's one of the recurring dreams that preachers have. Uh, the second one I've heard about, but I actually haven't had myself, um, is when the, like, the preacher can't get to church. Um, they lost their keys, um, can't find their car, like they go outside to get their car and there's like this gigantic parking lot of cars that all look the same <laughs> and they can't, they can't figure out which one. Um, there's, or there's some kind of boundary, there's some kind of gap um, in between them and the church and they can't get there. Um, another one, I've had this in the past, it's not a recurring dream, but I've had it. I'm on time, I'm ready to go, but I am inappropriately attired. Okay, I, I'd show up for the wedding and I look down <laughs> and I'm in my bathing suit or your underwear, right? And it's not a Little Mermaid wedding. It's just, <laughs> I didn't wear a suit. And I call Jana to bring me a suit and she doesn't pick up per usual. <laughs> and I have to do the entire wedding in, in my suit. The last one, this is the most terrifying of all to me. Like, for you, the nightmare would be to me show up and do the sermon in my swimsuit. But the nightmare for me is I'm there on time, I'm appropriately attired, but I didn't prepare. I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. I have no idea what to, how to get the thing going. Like that's the, that's the, that's the nightmare for me. So um, it doesn't take Sigmund Freud to figure this out. Like preachers have to spend, you know, dozens and dozens of times and teachers as well. Those of you who teach or maybe train, you have to get up in front of people and you have to do this public speaking thing that, you know, 98% of the population is terrified of. And, and you have to do this over and over and over again. So you spend so much time doing this that your conscious world and the insecurities in your conscious world makes its way into your unconscious world. And so, it, it does, again, it doesn't take Sigmund Freud to, to figure, figure out what's going on there. Today, we're going to talk about a dream. It's a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had. By the way, is it okay with you guys if I shorten his name? Because I can save about a third of the message just by shortening his name. <laughs> like Nebi? Nebster? Let's go with Neb, okay? As close as we can get. It's the, it's the, it's the inverse of Ben. So, King Neb... Um, has a dream. He wakes up because it, it just disturbs him so much. He can't be, get back to sleep. And unlike our weird dreams, maybe you think this, but I don't. Unlike our weird dreams, he actually thinks that the gods have communicated to him about the future. So middle of the night, we don't know what time it is, but he wakes up his, his enchanters, his astrologers, his sorcerers, his, his magicians, his wise men to explain the dream to him, okay? 
So that's where we're going. Now, I didn't do this last week. I want to do it this week. I just want to give you an idea of, of, the, of the, the, the empire of Babylon during this time, okay? This takes place in a specific space and time in history. So uh, the Babylonian empire, huge empire. Babylonia was the first like world power, world superpower on the stage. And, 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 and Neb is the leader of this huge empire. He didn't just go into other countries and loot and leave. He would go into other empires, other countries, the surrounding provinces, and he would take the best of the best, go back to Babylon and just assimilate them into the culture. That's what we saw last week uh, with, with, with Daniel and his buddies. The, the four guys we met last week, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, they're going to get swept up into this, um, this interpreting dream thing um, because they're trained, or they were trained as some of the wise men, part of the administration of King Neb. So these four are pulled into this dream analysis. And while Daniel and his friends make an appearance in chapter two, the spotlight isn't on Daniel and his buddies in chapter two. The spotlight actually is on the God of Israel in chapter two. And, and what we're going to see today, what I hope that we walk away with, we touched on this last week, but what I want us to see today is that God honors those who honor God. And so the question that I have for you, the, the thought, the idea, wherever you find yourself, whatever you came in those doors with today, here's the question I want you to ask. How can I honor God? How can I honor God? If he's the creator, if he's responsible for the world that functions around us and he put us together, if he's created us, and if he stepped into time and space through the person of Jesus, he taught, he healed, he died, he came back to life as our rescuer. If he's the creator, if he's our rescuer, it seems to me from time to time, we would ask the question, how do we honor this creating, rescuing God? What does that look like? How do we do that? on a daily basis, whatever stage you find yourself in your faith journey. If you're at the beginning or if you've been in this for decades, I'd love for you to walk away asking that question. I see how Daniel and his life honored God. How can I? What does it look like for me to honor God in this place where I find myself? That's really what today is about, okay? So, got a Bible or a mobile device? Find Daniel chapter 2. Um, let's work through this, okay? He's already called in his advisors because he wants to know what the dream means. We'll pick this up in Daniel chapter two, starting in verse four. It says, then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. That's just good diplomacy with your boss. Write that down. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. This is just how the system in, in Babylon worked. You tell us what the dream was, and we'll give you the inter interpretation. Now, they had the, these wise men, Babylon, they, they had this, this library of books that would help them interpret dreams, okay? Um, a cow means this. A bird means this. You know, Puff the Magic Dragon means this. And, and somebody showing up to a wedding in their swimsuit means this, right? 
So they had these books that they would use to interpret dreams. They'd hear the dream, look up the images, and boom, dream interpreted. Neb says, we're not doing it like that this time. I got something else for you. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. He's not having a good night, is he? I want you to tell me what the dream was and I want you to interpret it for me. And if you don't, really bad things are gonna happen to you and your family. And what would the normal person respond with? You're, you're kidding me, right? That's, that's impossible. You just, just tell us the dream and we'll interpret the dream. Ned says, you're stalling. You're all conspiring against me. And this thing starts to gain energy. Look at verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. Here's where the soundtrack in the story changes. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. What you're asking is impossible. It's unrealistic. It's unprecedented. No king however great and mighty they thought they were, has ever asked something like this. Only the gods know what you dreamed and they don't really hang out with us. Now, this, this makes the king livid. He was already upset. He is ticked off. He looks at the guards and says, kill them all. All of them, all the, all the astrologers, enchanters, magicians, wise men, kill them all. They were put on death row and their sentence of execution was to be carried out. Now, take a step back from the story for a second and just, just ask this question. Where's all that energy coming from? Like, like when I get woken up in the middle of the night, I'm a little cranky, but I want to kill everybody. Why fly off the rocker so quickly? And we don't get the answer to that question from the text, but I have some suspicions. And one of my suspicions is he is living under a lot of pressure to maintain and to build his kingdom. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. And where's the next revolt coming from? Where's the next coup attempt within my administration? Is it safe to eat food that they bring to me? He's got all of this fear and he has this dream that he thinks is about the future and he doesn't know what it means and the fear just gets ratcheted up. One thing I just, this isn't the main point of today, but one thing I just want to, to throw out there, this is for some of you. This is the consequence of seeking first your own kingdom. If you deal with a lot of fear, if that's something that has a hold on you, my guess is you're seeking the wrong kingdom. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. If you're, if you're dealing with fear, can I encourage you 
Seek a big K kingdom, not your little K kingdom. If you were with us last week, you saw these four Hebrew teenage boys that are part of the administration. They weren't there for this specific conversation, but they were a part of the group that Neb just sentenced to death. So a chief guard by the name of Arioch comes knocking on Daniel's door and says, sorry, Dan, uh, to wake you up, but uh, you have to die. And Daniel's like, can you explain to me why I have to die? He explains the situation, and Daniel just asks, can I have a minute? Can you give me some time? He gives him some time. He calls on his three friends, and they get together, and they have a prayer meeting. And this wasn't one of those prayer meetings that went, dear Jesus, you know, thank you for today. Thank you for our food. Please bless my family and friends. Be with the missionaries. And God, please be with Chip at work and his rash. Please heal Chip's rash. And Lord, if it's at all possible, please, 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 please don't let it rain on Halloween. Amen. Wasn't one of those. This was one of those prayer meetings where they're on their face. (laughs) And there's tears and there's snot and there's just everything. They're just pouring out their hearts to God. That's one of those prayer meetings. Look at verse 17. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. He urged them, underline this, highlight these words, to plead for mercy. They're begging God from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This was one of those, God, you've got to do something. And if you don't, we're done. It was, please, please, please do something. And God does. God does. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. As they're, as they're praying, Daniel gets this vision, and it's, it's Neb's nightmare. He sees what Neb dreamed. We'd expect the next scene to be Daniel jumping to his feet, grabbing the guard, and sprinting to the palace to just end this madness. That does happen, but that's not what happens next. But what happens next is critical, it's important, and we need to consider it. After Daniel sees this, after God gives this vision to Daniel, the next thing that happens in the text, in the story, is a moment of thanks. They they don't go barreling out the door. They take a moment, just just pause and say thank you. You look at your Bible or you look at your, your mobile device And it's like they took a psalm and put it right in the middle of the story. It seems out of place, even in the way that it looks in, in literature. But I want you to hear. I want you to hear what Daniel and his friends do. Here's what they say. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. This last part of the section gets very specific. Instead of this is what God has done out there, they move to and this is what God just did for us I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, 
You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. They, they go from really general to very specific, and I just think that's worth noting. It's, it's one thing to say God is faithful and God is good and God is love and God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing. It's a completely different thing to think about, to remember a specific moment in your life and say to him, God was good to me there. My heavenly father showed up there. We were in a mess and God came through for us right there. You move from general to specific. Be specific in your thanksgiving. Be specific when we find ourselves in a situation praying, please, please, please. I think we should always come back with thank you, thank you, thank you. It's closing the loop. So I I just want to give you a gift. I want to give you a moment to practice this, okay? So those of you here in the room, those of you watching online with us right now, I just want to give you 30 seconds to think, to bring, to remember one moment where God has come through for you in the last week, the last month, the last year, and say to him in your mind to to personally thank him for his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, and pray a one-sentence prayer. Dear Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for. Take a minute. Father in heaven, hear our prayers of thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your kindness, for your goodness, for your activity in our lives. Hear our gratitude today. Amen. Daniel needs to get to the palace. He needs to get to the palace, he needs to get to the palace quick, and he does. He rushes in standing in front of the king who's ready to kill a bunch of people. And you got to remember, at this point, Daniel's 18, 19, 20 years old maybe. And Neb looks at him and says, can you tell me what I dreamed and give me the interpretation? Daniel says, nope. No man. (laughs) No man can do what you're asking. He agrees with all the rest of the guys, which might not have been the smartest idea. Look what he says. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But, and that's a big old but, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Can you smell what Daniel's cooking? Okay, it's not just about Daniel. It's not just about what Daniel can do. And and you know what? Neb doesn't even know. Neb, Neb, Neb doesn't know that God has revealed something to him in the night. Daniel could take all the credit. 
But that's not how you shine in Babylon. That's not how that works. You shine in Babylon by reflecting the glory and honor to the one who deserves it, to the one it originates with. You're not the receiver of the glory and the honor. You're a mirror for the glory and the honor to shine back to the one it originated from. Daniel says, I can't do it. I can't do what you're asking me, but my God can. And then Daniel tells him, the dream. He says, here's, here's what you dream, Neb. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. The whole statue comes down, smashed to pieces. The wind picks up, blows the pieces away. And that rock that struck the statue begins to grow. It becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And the king goes, that's it. That was the exact dream that I had. Now tell me what it means. Is it about the future? And Daniel says, yes, it is about the future. The head of gold is you. God has loaned you power and authority over this kingdom, but after you will come another kingdom, the silver kingdom. And the silver kingdom won't be as strong as your kingdom. It won't be as valuable as your kingdom, just as silver is not as valuable as gold. And then after the silver kingdom will come the bronze kingdom represented by the bronze thighs. And then the legs of iron represent another kingdom that will be powerful like iron. The feet of mixed clay and iron will represent a kingdom that's partly strong and partly brittle. And, and Daniel just kind of walks him through what's going to come after. And, 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 and kingdoms come and kingdoms go, Neb. Kingdoms come and, and kingdoms go. Empires rise, empires fall. Does, does, has anybody visited the Babylonian Empire lately? You ever been to the Medo-Persian Empire? What about the Greeks? Anybody met Alexander the Great in your life? How about the Roman Empire? Rome was never supposed to fall. And yet, there's no Roman Empire. Power and popularity are fleeting. Companies rise and fall. Celebrities come and go. One team rises to the top. World Series, World Cup, Stanley Cup, Super Bowl. And a couple of years later, they descend and another team has their number. Hey, if you would have told me 20 years ago that Tiger Woods wouldn't be able to swing a club today, I would have laughed at you. And here we are. His dream was about the future. His, his head... He was the head of gold, but there were other leaders and kingdoms coming after him. And scholars, theologians, Bible students have a blast with this dream, trying to figure out what it means. What kingdom is represented by silver? What kingdom is represented by bronze? What about the iron kingdom or the kingdom represented by mixing clay and iron? And some will say these are four different kings. Some will say these, are, these aren't kings, but kingdoms. And it's, it's interesting and it's fascinating. And it totally misses the point. Totally misses the point. Daniel doesn't try to explain what all those different parts of the statue represent. The Bible isn't clear on this. Neb doesn't walk away knowing exactly what's going to happen. The point isn't knowing what all of this means. The point is the rock. 
the point of the dream. It's the rock. The point of the dream is, is granite is not as valuable as gold or silver or bronze or even iron, but it's more powerful than all of them combined. It shatters all of those things. The point of the dream is the rock. Verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. That's the point of the dream. And, and, and what Neb sees in his dream, what God reveals to him is something that we would call today the kingdom of God. And when Jesus shows up, he made clear in Matthew 21 that this rock from heaven was him. He was the rock. Think about it. Uh, the stone in Neb's dream wasn't made with human hands. There was no human agency like that stone. Jesus wasn't made with human hands. He was born of a virgin. The secondly, the rock's the least valuable substance in the dream. Granite, much less valuable than gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And yet, that rock demolished the more expensive metals. Jesus would not come with all the bling and the shine of the world. He was born poor, never owned a home, never raised an army, but he came with death-defying power. Third, in this dream, the rock started small but eventually grew into a gigantic mountain that filled the whole earth. That's the same thing Jesus said about his kingdom in Matthew 13. <laughs> his kingdom would start small like a seed. And yet it would grow and it would fill the entire earth. When Jesus left, you could put all of his followers in one small little upper room. Didn't have an army, built no fortress like Nebuchadnezzar or Alexander or Muhammad. But that small group of people has grown into the largest religious movement in history. It literally covers the face of the earth. So Daniel tells him the dream, interprets the dream, and then he gets a promotion. He and his three friends, they get a promotion. Look at verse 47. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. A pagan king starts with, your Lord is the Lord of lords. Your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings. Oh yeah, and Daniel, you had something to play. You had something to do with this too. He gets some credit. He gets a promotion. But from the lips of a pagan king, the honor belongs to God. The God of Israel gets honored because of those boys' faithfulness. And you fast forward you know, 600 years. No, fast forward 100 years and you're, you're, you're a Hebrew and you're back in Israel, right? Because they were only in Babylon for 70 years. You're back in Israel. Fast forward 200 years or 300 years or 400 years and you get this text written by Daniel. And what does this dream mean? What is this about? And then a Jewish carpenter shows up on the scene. And he starts talking about the kingdom of God. He starts preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And he starts to draw a crowd. Mobs of people show up. We know his most famous sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, 
Jesus looks at this small group of people that he's gathered and he says to them the echo of what Daniel and his buddies did. He says to them, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Shine your light in such a way that people will see your goodness, but it doesn't stop there. That there's a way to be good. There's a way to do good in such a way that people glorify your Father in heaven, not you, not me. So let's just, let's synthesize this in two statements. Your goodness, God's glory. Your goodness, God's glory. See, isn't it true for many people the idea of, of God is abstract. You can tell them, God loves you, and they'll go, whatever. But you love them. You comfort them. You spend time with them, and all of a sudden, God's love is tangible. His presence is tangible. His comfort is real because it's, your goodness, God's glory. So, so you make a meal for somebody who's going through a difficult season. Or if you have no baking skills, you buy a meal <laughs> for somebody who's going through a difficult season. It, it's very possible for them to experience the presence of God through your presence. There's a family in our church that started a new small business around pottery they were telling me a story this week about a lady who showed up to their studio. Um, first time that she's left her house since COVID. She, she lost her husband during COVID. Her dog died. It's just like the cherry on the top, isn't it? And she just, she could not work up the energy to leave her house for years. So she shows up to this, this pottery studio and, and she starts to, to meet people. She starts to build this, this community of people that she enjoys being around. And the neighbors, they see her walking her dog one day and said, you went to the studio, didn't you, today? And she's like, yeah, how did you know? And her neighbor said, because you're smiling. God's presence is often made real through your presence. God's comfort is often manifested through your comfort. God's love is, is, is on display through your love, and oftentimes that makes Jesus so much more real to people. Your goodness, God's glory. Your goodness, God's glory. Helping somebody move, watching somebody's kids for an afternoon, helping a new neighbor get acclimated to Topeka. So many ways that we can reflect honor, but it's about making a decision to live a life of honor in Babylon. It's not just that we are honored, but honor gets reflected back to Jesus. What, what if that was our mission in Babylon? Even when they knock on our door in the middle of the night and say, you have to die. What if that's our mission to reflect the honor and the glory that belongs to our Father in heaven, our creative, rescuing God, like Daniel did. How can I honor God with my life? I hope that question bothers you. 
I hope you keep it before you. How can I honor God today, right here, right now, like Daniel did? Let your light shine before men so that they can see your good works. And not just so they can see your good works and not just so they can honor you, but so that they can honor your Father in heaven. And then next week, we come back and it's going to get really hot. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I pray for your people. I pray for my friends. I pray for those um, who already know exactly what they, they need to, to leave this place and do in order to honor you. Got to pray for those who, um, this sounds like a good idea, but not really sure what that looks like. God, I pray that they would, they, they would posture themselves in such a way that you would speak through your word, through your spirit, through your creation, through your people, that they would know, that they would look for, that they would pay attention to every single day what it looks like to honor you with their lives, that they would, they would live in such a way that people would see, they would understand, they would comprehend that there's a, there's a Father in heaven, there's a good God that loves them, that has a plan for them, that wants to be at work in their lives in such a way that you are honored through their lives. God, even if nobody else does it, even nobody else around us, none, none of our neighbors, none of our family, none of our coworkers, even nobody else does it, God, would you give us the courage to live lives of honor so people glorify you? And in the end, it is about you. It is about it's about your kingdom. It's about your honor. It's about your glory through our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.